Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Here they are, your Weekend Warriors, Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for tuning in with us again. We've got a great show lined up for you today, Tony. It is almost wintertime. Can you believe that? As evidenced by the most recent and first uh, freeze in the valley where we live, uh, here in the Pacific Northwest, we live in Oregon, of course, and... um, and in the valley there, we had our first freeze. I know there's a lot of places uh, where you can be listening to this show, and you've seen snow already. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's snow up in Marysville and Spokane. So uh, we're a little behind the game here in the valley, but we did have our first freeze. And that, of course, reminds me that it's time to get my home ready for the coming super cold months. <laughs> and... Uh, it's an opportunity for me to save some of the money that I would be spending keeping my house warm. Yeah, it's uh, it can certainly be a huge kick in the pants if you're not ready for it. And your furnace isn't tuned up, your windows are still open in your house because you're used to sleeping at night with the windows open. And you wake up in the middle of the night and your teeth are chattering and your toes are frozen. <laughs> you got a sore throat. Yeah, and you yeah. really start thinking about all of those things. That you haven't done yet. Yeah. So hopefully that's what we're going to talk about today. Hopefully we can inspire you and remind you of some of the things that you should be working on right now to get ready. Here's the number one thing for me in my house. I got to go and disconnect the uh, the air conditioning units that I have installed at my windows oh yeah you don't have central air you have you use the window units that's right i use window units and i have uh two in my home i got a two-story house and um and while they haven't been used for a while they're still sitting there installed and that is not super energy efficient to have the window open and you got that little thing that's kind of closed up tight in the window you know maybe you've got some pieces of wood that are uh, blocking the the sash so that it, it can't mm-hmm. open anymore, mm-hmm. but um, I need to get in and get those things taken out, and uh, and get prepared for cold weather that's coming. Oh yeah, it's come, it's here. Well, I think we're lucky though. I'm sure. I'm sure there's going to be a few uh, really nice days, for a few really nice weekends. Uh, left, so you you have some time. You're hoping you're some. I guess you're hoping some really nice weekends left. You're probably hoping to get out and go camping again before before the winter sets in. Uh, I think I don't think so. I think we're probably done there. Well, if you're done, and this is another really great tip for you, if you're done camping for the season, Corey, mm-hmm. and I know you own an RV, then you also need to give some time to your RV, which also needs to be winterized and prepared to sit for the next four to six months. True. So here's a here's one of the things you need to do. You need to get to the trailer, right? And you need to go in there. Of course, make sure all your windows are closed. Um, you need to install or, or set up and plug in a dehumidifier inside of there. You can, you can actually buy those little bags of granules that you hang up and those granules uh, soak up moisture, you know. 
But um, the the thing that's always worked really good for me is um, is a plug-in dehumidifier, which just heats up enough to dry the air out inside the trailer. And I have a couple of those little granule things hanging up as well. Those help me gauge how well my AC, my um, powered or my electric dehumidifier is working. Yeah, you know, it's actually, it's a little bit more scientific than that because you don't need a lot of heat inside of a, a thing like an RV to keep the moisture out. All you're trying to do is raise the temperature inside the RV just slightly above what it is outside. And if you do that, moisture always travels from warm to cold, always. So it pushes through the walls, it pushes through any openings that you have, and that's where water will condensate. That's why it'll always condensate on a window, where if you blow uh, your warm, moist air out of your lungs onto a, a glass pane and it's cold outside, that's why it'll condensate there, because it always will travel from warm to cold. So uh, if you have it just slightly warmer inside of there, it doesn't need to be big. Like you said, just a small heater. One degree. Yeah, one degree. It'll 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 move that moisture away and yeah. out. And this one uh, that I own, of course, it's not even really a heater. They call it a dehumidifier because it's specifically designed for that. And it draws very little um, energy, so it doesn't cost a lot to operate it. Um, but I do have to keep my RV plugged in in order to for that to run, which is also not a problem. Here's the number two thing you want to do. Make sure that your low point drains that are at the lowest point of your trailer, and you'll find them by crawling underneath your trailer. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're designated a red and blue color. So two hoses that come out, stick out through the bottom, and they are capped because if they weren't capped, all of your fresh water that's in your RV would always be draining out. So you find your low point drains, your red and your blue low point drain, and take those caps off. I actually just leave the caps off, and um, then I know that I don't have any water in the pipes. Some people will put the caps back on and then put a little bit of antifreeze in there and let the antifreeze stay in there because it, of course, won't freeze. But um, I choose to just uh, pull the caps off the low point drains and leave them off. I suppose there's a possibility something could crawl up in there, a spider or something, but I'm not ultimately too concerned about that <laughs> you know you're not I, worried about spiders i, I know in your to, water supply lines well i know how to flush them out yeah that's true <laughs> so so there's that's that's a second tip for your rv yeah that's a good one um another thing that i learned when i bought my rv was to take the anode rod out of the water heater if you've got a little gas water heater Uh, on your RV. There's a little rod in there, sacrificial rod. Um, You should remove that. So any water that's inside of the water tank will drain out and not be, uh, you know, ruin the water heater. Interesting. Yeah, that's a a pretty great tip. I've never actually done that before. Um, Another thing, good thing to do if you're going to be having it plugged in for the next months is to disconnect the leads to your battery. A lot of times they'll actually have a switch, um, an on-off switch, so that you are not continuing to run power to your batteries because they don't want to just continue to be charged for the next six months. Yeah, that's a good one. Disconnect the leads to your battery or or, or flip that switch 
so that the AC is just running the RV and not charging the batteries. That's a good one. Yeah. And then, of course, cover it. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't actually own a cover for my RV. My plan is to build a carport for my RV to be under, but I haven't done that, as you well know, because <laughs> when I have done that, you will have that memory because you'll be out there with me yeah. uh, building it. But uh, that is my plan to build a cover, but I, uh, I don't have one currently, so that, I need to be smart about that. Yeah, you don't, don't want to ruin want, your yeah, I don't want it sitting out there your in the investment. rain doing nothing, right? So there's some good tips that gets us started thinking about winter and cold and ice and snow. we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking about your home and this winter. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today we're talking about winterizing your home. If you haven't already, it's uh, it's that time. It's that time of year. You need to think about it. You need to start acting and moving and uh, doing it because you don't want to be caught with frozen pipes or you don't want to be caught the first time that you go to fire up your furnace on that uh, 30 degree day or 40 degree day. Uh, that it doesn't turn on, or the heat's not coming out like it should, or something, who knows, for whatever reason. You want to be looking at that stuff now. Right. You so. don't You don't want to be caught by throwing a few logs in the fireplace and firing that up for your first super cold night with a nice warm fire, and then have the soot from last year's fire usage <laughs> uh, catch on fire, and now you got a chimney fire, and nobody wants that. Am I no, right? Nobody wants a chimney fire. And plus, you got to have that thing nice and clean for when Santa arrives. That's right. So just make a quick phone call to uh, Mary Poppins. She'll get her buddies, Dick Van Dyke or whoever. Chimney sweep. And they will come out and, yep, sweep your chimney. <laughs> and then there will be a little dance. You know, you can video it. It'll be great. You know, we have a fireplace in our current house that we live in, and we never use it. Ever. I think I've used it maybe once, maybe. I kind of want to get an insert for it. Well, I know you had some struggles in your last home with your fireplace. We did. And, you know, I don't know if it was the configuration of the house, because obviously it's not always the case, um, but you definitely had some struggles. So, I mean, it probably depends on a few things, right? So it depends on when your house was built. And how they constructed the chimney in the fireplace and how much work you've done to it since, right? So in that particular house, uh, in my old house, we had this older chimney. It was a house built in the 60s. I think it was in the 60s. And at some point along the way, people stopped using the fireplace. And when I moved in, I did a lot of air sealing. I sealed up all the holes. I sealed up all the, you know the holes in the ceiling and the floor and weather stripping and windows and all that stuff. You got yourself a nice tight envelope there. Tight envelope. Well, 
the downside to that was when we went to go use the fireplace for the first time, it was so airtight inside the home that the only place that it could pull um, fresh air fresh air from was through the chimney. Yeah, through the chimney. So the smoke, instead of getting drawn out, uh, when I kicked the furnace on, which also draws air out, kind of creates a negative pressure inside your home, all that smoke bellowed into the house. So that was super dangerous, and we learned our lesson there. Uh, I think we had one other fire in that fireplace for some reason or another, and we ended up having to turn off the furnace and only use the fireplace in that one room, which was, you know, miserable because it was cold. Kind of counterproductive. Yeah, I mean, and it was just... Unless the, the entire intent is to have that cozy little fire. I mean, you know, you guys could have camped out in the in the family room. Yeah, and I think probably I, we might have been uh, burning some some old lumber or something that we had just to get rid of it. I don't know. Pressure, but... pressure treated? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. There is, uh, there is something... Uh, super comforting about having a fireplace and being able to use it inside the home uh, and having it be, you know, I mean, I like that. I love to snuggle up in front of the fireplace on a cold night. That's amazing. I don't only get to do it when I go to a, to a cabin or something. Right. Right. Uh, because I don't have a fireplace, but, um, but it, it also seems to be not uh, super efficient, I guess. Oh, it's totally inefficient. And I mean, if you want it, something efficient, then you would probably put an insert in there, um, either a wood-burning stove or a wood-burning insert or a pellet stove or something that it, that is efficient because an open fireplace, I think, is just good for really one thing, and that's ambiance. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I well, mean, honestly. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I can see where you're coming from on that. So that, that might be why you haven't... Uh, you know, really used your fireplace so much. Plus, it's not really in in this home. Your fireplace is not in the area where you spend a lot of time. It's kind of off the kitchen in the dining room area, which is uh, you know not a place that you gather, I guess, uh, a lot of times. So that kind of that also kind of takes away from it a little bit. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So, but that is one of those things on that list is to make sure that it's clean. Make sure that there's no creosote or anything like that buildup because chimney fires are a real thing. And if you are going to plan on using it, uh, make sure that it the flue works properly and is open when you light that fire. Yeah, that's something else. If you're a fireplace owner or maybe you uh, are buying a place or have just recently moved into a place that has a fireplace, uh, one of the things you want to become very, very familiar with is opening and closing the flue. Because if the flue is open and you don't have a fire, cold air is coming in there. Oh, absolutely. And if the flue is closed and you do have a fire, uh, the smoke is not going out like it's supposed to. So uh, it's one of those things you just have to become very used to doing. Open it when you're burning, close it when you're not. Open, close. Yeah. Open, close. And... If you're not familiar with fireplaces, and some I'm sure most people are, but if you're not, um, you should familiarize yourself with that, certainly, of how to open and close it. And here's one last uh, tip for the fireplace. Uh, you're going to be up on the roof inspecting your roof when you're winterizing your home. That's a very important step, and we're going to cover that. But while you're up there on the roof, uh, check the... 
check the the brick that your fireplace is constructed of and make sure that it's not missing mortar. If tuck pointing is required there, um, that's something that you'll need to address. You don't want that to continue to get worse and worse. Just like cracks in your foundation or in your driveway uh, or in the sidewalk, if you have cracks or missing mortar in there, water gets in there and then it freezes and it expands and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And uh, you need to definitely address that now. Yeah, right? Absolutely. And I would say, I would go out on a limb and say that you should pay somebody to take care of that unless you're very familiar with how to do that. Unless stuff. you're a Mason. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable repairing those parts of a chimney because I mean, you're kind of playing with fire. I mean, <laughs> you know, pun intended. <laughs> well, I guess it depends on the depth of the problem, right? I mean, if you go out there and you inspect your chimney from the roof up to the top and you see one area that has some crumbling mortar. I mean, I'm certain you could patch that. Sure. Yeah, you're probably right there. Uh, you know, but if it's if it's a problem where you have a lot of areas that need to be addressed, then you probably should have a professional look at it. You yeah. wouldn't want to do a patch job and then have it fail, certainly not in the middle of winter. Yeah. Uh, that's not when you want your fireplace to fail. I agree. I agree. I actually just want to share my story on the fireplace at my house I currently live in, uh, when we re decided to remodel, I had some siding that I needed to do on the side of the house around the chimney. And it was really like rotted. The siding on the side of that house was all messed up. So we were stripping it off and getting it replaced. But when we started to strip the siding away, that chimney was falling apart. It was set on blocks and like a CMU block and it was just sitting on ground. There was no foundation. There was nothing. It was sinking. It was sinking into the ground and it was just crumbling. I don't know. I'm not a stonemason, but these bricks like were turning to powder. Uh, the actual chimney itself had a liner in it. So I felt confident in that portion, but everything up to it, um, the bottom of the fire or the top of the fireplace. And then from that point up, it was all wood And that wood was just sitting on bare ground and it was so rotted. You helped me. Uh, we did a lot of work. You had to talk me off the ledge. Even <laughs> yeah. I was really worried, uh, but it, we got it fixed up. All right. We're going to take a quick break. More winterizing tips. When we come back, don't go away. Built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Thanks for staying with us. Hey, if you haven't already, go check out our uh, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Our uh, handle is at WW Home Show, uh, or you can go to par.com. That's P A R R. Dot com. Click on the Weekend Warriors link, and that'll take you over to our website, and that'll show you uh, how to get to all that stuff. If you miss any portion of this show uh, or any of our previous shows, you can go listen to that 
wherever you listen to your podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Uh, so go check those out. We would love it if you subscribe to our YouTube channel. We got tons of really cool videos on there, and uh, we all, we're always uploading new ones. So go check those out. So today we're talking about winterizing your home. It's, uh, it's that time of year. It's getting cold. And these are the things you need to be thinking about. We said in the first couple segments there, we talked about your RV. If you have an RV to get that thing winterized and get it stored away properly, because you don't want to go out for your first camping trip of the year and have a disaster. So I'm, I'm right in there. I like to be prepared. And when I show up, I don't want to be fixing broken pipes. Well, here's, you know, here's something else you fix. If you don't keep the moisture out of the interior of your RV and the moisture builds up in there, you can have a scenario where a closet door or a cabinet door or drawers, and they're put together with, uh, you know, like style and rail, right, inside there. And and they are put together that way. That gets too much moisture and it expands, right? And, And then when the moisture goes out, it shrinks back up, and you end up with. We, I actually had a cabinet door that it, that swelled up, and then when it shrunk back down, it fell apart. And I found the door in a pile of parts on the floor. I was actually able to take it into the wood shop, reassemble it, glue and nail, and put it back up, and that was fine. But it's amazing the damage that moisture can do inside of there. And I'm not talking about a leak. I'm just talking about. Moisture inside of your RV, and because so much time passes without you spending any time out there at all, it happens, and uh, you got to definitely take steps to keep that from happening. Yeah, that's a good one. I've never had that happen to me, but you You did. Yeah, you don't want to. I mean, I remember I was thinking to myself, oh, man, I got this expensive RV, and it's it's falling apart on the inside, but I learned a valuable lesson right there. Hey, when before we went to the break, we were up on the roof. We were looking at the chimney. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things up on the roof that need to be addressed. And here's probably the biggest, well, one of the biggest ones is moss. Uh, everybody gets moss that grows up on the roof. I have a moss situation right now that I need to go up and address. Um, I actually sprinkled a moss inhibitor or a moss killer up on the roof already earlier and killed all the moss. But you know what I didn't do? Hmm. I didn't sweep it all off. Ooh. I didn't get it all off. And that moss will come back. It, it will come back to life and and become all new and reattach itself. And you'll have to do the whole thing all it's over It's been again. on there so long, you named it Randy. <laughs> I, did, I did. And here's the other thing, and I'm not proud to say this, but I, I parked my vehicle in my driveway the other day, and as I was walking across the driveway towards the house, there were tufts of moss that have just rolled off of the roof onto the driveway. <laughs> I mean, I killed it, right? And it's up there, and it's even falling off. It's saying, please, please get all of the moss <laughs> off of this roof. I can't do it by myself. And it was just a reminder for me, there's moss um, on the that has fallen off of the roof onto the driveway, and I need to get up there and get it all off and get it all cleaned up and prepare my roof to be as efficient as it can be. Moss is one of those things that grows up there, and it doesn't look like it's that big of a deal, but the moss will uh, infiltrate underneath the shingles of your composition roof. Start lifting them. And it lifts it up, and when those shingles get lifted up because moss is growing underneath them, uh, they are susceptible to leaks, and that is not what you want. A leak in the roof can be very, very expensive. Yeah, I've uh, been there. I had to replace my whole roof because of a leak, and... Uh 
It's not fun. It's not cheap. No, it's not. So that brings me to my next point. You, first of all, you get to get up there, um, use some moss killer to kill the moss. And when you kill the moss, then it detaches itself from the roof. And then you can just sweep it off. Stiff uh, bristled brush. Stiff bristled brush. Yeah, it's not a really great idea to be up on the roof with a power washer or a pressure washer because it can damage the roof shingles if you're not super duper careful. And I've been up on a roof being as careful as I could be, knowing what damage it can do, and still knocked a shingle off or, you know, it blew off the the uh, wand just for one second was spraying in the wrong direction and that shingle just went boom, gone. Yeah. And now that was a shingle that needed to be replaced. And you don't want to, don't cause yourself more trouble. Use a broom, sweep down, of course, and uh, all that moss will end up in your gutter probably and then clean out your gutters. You got to clean out your gutters anyways. So uh, combine those two projects, get up there, kill the moss, sweep it off, clean the gutter. And, uh, and that's one task off of your list, check mark. Yeah, we actually did a video uh, that's on YouTube on replacing your gutter spikes. And since you're up there, checking the moss, getting it cleared out, and cleaning out your gutters while you're up there, make sure you're checking those gutter spikes. If they're loose, then you can sometimes just hammer them right back in. If the wood in the truss tails or the fascia is solid and you can just nail it back in, just do so. Uh, but if that you nail it in and it's clearly not sticking and holding, um, they make a product. Uh, Fasten Master makes a product. It's a gutter spike screw, and it comes with ferrules. It replaces the old spike, and they're quite a bit longer and quite a bit bigger. So when you screw that thing in there, it is not coming off. Yeah, and be really careful. We we replaced all of the gutter spikes. Um, in the gutters on my house. And in some cases, you know, as I got through to 40 or 50 or 60 gutter screws that I was putting in, some of them, uh, I just followed the hole of the gutter spike that was in there before. And some of them, because they're longer, ended up coming out of the truss tail up in the eave because uh-huh. it was going in at an angle. Oh. So be very careful and make sure you're forcing the screw to go into the gutter or into the, uh, truss tails very straight because they're so long they can't squeak out there and uh so just make sure and i even missed the i missed the truss tail completely on a, on a couple, <laughs> a couple of, them, of them which was the case because the gutter spike had been put in the wrong spot and it had missed and i didn't notice it when i pulled the gutter spike yeah. out but you know if, if a gutter spike it has missed the truss tail and the spikes on either side of it are performing, then it doesn't become a problem and you might not notice it. But when you're replacing the screws, you'll want to check for that. One last thing when you're looking at your gutters and you're fixing them and say they're coming off and you're replacing those screws or spikes with screws, make sure uh, sometimes you might be tempted to think to yourself, oh, it's fallen down on one side. <laughs> yeah. But it's supposed to. You have to maintain a proper drop in elevation from one side down to the other. From one downspout to the other downspout. It's going to have a high point. If you have downspouts at both ends, it's going to have a high point in the middle. Yeah. Or if it's a shorter run and you have the gutter coming down, it has water has to run downhill. And if it's perfectly flat, which your eave should be, so if the whole gutter is pushed up tight, then water won't travel like it's supposed to. So you have to have that fall 
in the uh, the overall gutter down to the downspout to carry that water away. Yeah. One last tip. If you're replacing your gutter spikes with gutter screws, especially the ones made by Fastmaster, they come with five-inch ferrules. And a lot of gutter is four-inch K-style gutter. It's very common. I have four-inch K-style gutter on my house. And uh, and we, we actually had to trim the ferrules down to fit into the four-inch K-style gutter. And not a big deal. Uh, you know, just know it going in. It's uh, There's a little bit of pre-work that needs to be done before you can get up there and replace all those spikes. But I'm so glad that I did. It was money well spent and time well spent, and I'm really glad that I got that done. Yeah, that's a good project. Yeah, those gutters get full of water. They're very, very heavy, and you do not want your gutter coming down in the middle of winter because it's full of water and the gutter wasn't cleaned. Yeah, man. It, it, one last thing I'm going to say. If you see water coming out over the top of your gutter, they're full. They're full, <laughs> and it needs to be cleaned. All right, more winterizing when we come back. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Today we're talking about winterizing your home. And uh, the last time we were talking about gutters quite a bit. Uh, but it's really, really important to take care of your gutters. If you notice, you walk outside and you see a line on the ground where water has been dripping over your gutter and just splashing down and hitting the ground, that is not good. That means that your gutters are more than likely full and or clogged. Your downspout might be clogged or the gutter might be clogged. You need to remedy that ASAP because water hitting the ground next to your foundation can be detrimental to the foundation of your home. It can undermine it and undermine, sorry, undermine the, the foundation causing cracks. It can, you know, uh, fill up your crawl space with water, causing mold and mildew. It's just, it's a bad idea. So the easiest fix to keep them clean. One of the things that I'm doing at my house, because I have to clean my gutters at least five times a year. Because you live in the middle of a forest. Well, I mean, not really. There I, are tall trees all around your house everywhere. There are, but there aren't any trees that overhang my house. No, that's true, but... I took all those out because I know when you have trees that overhang your home, you're you're pretty much inviting squirrels, you're inviting rodents, you're inviting insects to just go all out. Do whatever you want on my roof because they have full access. <laughs> Come on over. A squirrel's not going to run up the side of your house. They're going to get up there from a tree. So we took out all the branches and all the trees that overhang our house. But our neighbors still have really tall trees that are, I don't know, probably the nearest branch is 15, 20 feet away. But on a windy day, man, those needles land on my roof, drain right down into my gutters and fill them up in two months. And not just, not just needles either, leaves, tons yeah, of leaves. Tons. The last time we cleaned out your gutter together... 
It was, I mean, we're talking about a glad bag full oh, of yeah. leaves out of one section of gutter. Yep. That it was, was just a on lot. the back. Yeah, that was just the back. So what I did was I actually found at Costco, uh, they had these stainless steel mesh gutter th- pieces that, or covers that just cover over the top uh, with a, it's a stainless steel mesh. And I installed those. I wanted to try them out on the on a section on the front of my house and they worked great so i'm going to do the rest of my house yeah that, that sounds like a really good solution keeping that debris from accumulating inside of your gutter will save you work tons and tons of work uh if you don't have something that covers the top of your gutters and you do have debris that gets into your gutter you need to make sure that at every downspout you have a downspout screen um, or I don't know what they call it. It's a little uh, light bulb shaped, um, you know, screen that yeah that fits in the downspout and keeps that debris from going down. Because if it goes down your downspout, it's almost certainly going to get stuck down there somewhere and clog it. And then you'll have your gutters cleaned, and it looks like everything's good to go. But you still have water coming out over the top of the gutter when it rains because your downspout is plugged. You have to make sure that. The water is getting into the downspout and down into the rain drain and making its way out like it's supposed to. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That's an easy one, too. Those little bulb-shaped mesh screens are really inexpensive and they're super easy. Yeah. Because cleaning out your gutter is one thing. Cleaning out the downspout, and if you have rain drains around your house like probably most new houses do, cleaning those out is next to impossible. Yeah. You would have to either get them professionally power washed out with one of those flexible snakes or you something. Know, snakes that with the pressure washer hose on the end. Um, or yeah, if they're really bad, I mean, if they're clogged, clogged with whatever, you might have to dig them out. Yeah. Best bet. Keep the debris out of there. That is, uh, and if you can stop it at the top of the gutter by installing some sort of a screen like you did, then that's your best bet, absolutely, yeah. by far. Yep. Um, so you got to make sure your gutters are cleaned. you got to get the moss off the roof. Uh, make sure your gutters are cleaned. While you're up on the roof, you need to check for missing or damaged roof shingles or tiles. If it's cedar shingles or cedar shakes or composition shingles or if it's tile, anything up there that is damaged in any way is going to need to be addressed. You don't want to leave missing shingles um, unreplaced or broken tiles. Uh, you need to inspect the roof for those things. Also inspect the flashing around your chimney. If there's flashing around your chimney or the flashing around vent pipes or roof vents, any of the things that are coming through your roof that are flashed, you need to make sure that the sealant that's on there is not dried or cracked and that there's an opportunity for water to get in there. Yeah, those little um, things are called roof jacks. The, you'll see the vent pipes from your all your plumbing that come through your roof. You need those. Those have to be there. I've seen some people before uh, think to themselves, oh, well, I'll cap it off. What is what is this? I don't want water getting out of it. You don't want to do that. They have to be there. That allows the plumbing uh, inside your home to operate without vacuum. And if you have a clog in that vent pipe, which happens sometimes, rodents might crawl down there. I actually saw a video one time of a guy on a roof working, 
and he dropped a Coke can down the vent pipe. And he was like, ha, 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 so funny. Uh, but that is really bad. It cannot stay there because when you flush your toilet, water pushes that down and then it it has to flow all the way out to the street. If you know anything about hydraulics, if if you create a vacuum when you flush that toilet, it won't flush. It won't go down. Water will not drain. It's just like when you put a straw into a drink. And you put your finger over finger the top. Finger over the top. And you lift it up. It's Water stays in there. That's because that vent. It has to be displaced with air. And right. if the air can't get there, then exactly. it won't be displaced. It exactly. will stay. Yeah. So very important to keep those clear. Uh, and the other thing is those roof jacks that we were talking about, those oftentimes, almost all times, will have a neoprene seal that fits tightly around the vent pipe that's coming through the roof. Those can get dry or cracked, right. split or torn or broken, and uh, that will definitely need to be replaced. And you probably can't fix that with uh, with a tube of sealant. Uh, I think that, that roof jack is going to need to be replaced. I have heard someone tell me, that they actually sell just the neoprene replacement. Um, I've never seen them. I have never seen that either, because I don't know how that would work. Um, but I have seen where people have taken the roof jack that's old and messed up and slide a new one over top. Of course, you have to tuck that in to the shingles on the top side, because that's how roofs work. It's shingles down. So if it's over top of the shingles, then water will just go under it. But I have seen repair, repairs where they've done that. They've slid a new one over top of the old one and then properly installed it that way. But roofing scares me. Yeah. So I don't. I typically won't do repairs on my own roof, even as a you know weekend warrior. I just won't do it because you know it's catastrophic. Sure. And it might not. You might not know it right away. If a roof is leaking, it might be re- leaking into your attic for a, a long, long time, long period of time, yeah. before you'll ever know it, before and it causes tons the of damage. damage. Yeah. Uh, well, it, you may not be able to replace it yourself, but you can identify it, and you need to identify it. So, so when you're up on the roof, check all of those vents, all of those flashings, all of the the chimney, all of the shingles, whatever that's up there. And, uh, and make sure that everything looks like it's in order. And if something looks weird, take a picture of it, uh, send it to a professional and get some advice because you don't want to leave it unaddressed, especially going into the winter. Yeah, because if you call a roofer over to your property uh, during the winter time when it's icy or snowy or rainy and it's really slick up there, you would be expected to pay more if that's the case. Yeah, it makes sense to have this done before winter sets in, which is why we're talking to you about it now. If you if you need to have a professional go up there and inspect it, which probably is affordable. You know, that's probably an affordable cost, um, but that price goes up if he's got to do it uh, in the middle of winter. Winter. If you're up on the roof doing all your inspections and you're walking around, also be cognizant of soft spots on the roof. A soft spot on the roof can indicate uh, that you've had some leakage or that you have some damage to the the sheeting underneath and you'll want to get that repaired as well. Yeah. we got to take another quick break. Don't go away. 
Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. I'm Tony Cookston. Thank you so much for staying with us. We uh, Today we're talking about winterizing your home. It's that time of year. It's getting cold out, colder and colder and colder. If you live in the valley like me and Tony, uh, rain's coming any day and it's going to stay for months. So uh, now's the time to get out there and take care of this stuff. I know when it's sunny out, you just want to get out and do other things. But uh, a little bit of maintenance now will save you lots of money and heartache down the road. Absolutely. You don't want to find out you've got a leak in the middle of winter. <laughs> Never. That's not the time to find Never. out. It's bad. That's I had bad. to have my house re-roofed in the middle of winter. Oh, I remember that. I remember that. Oh, that was that was terrible. Not good. And it, and it, it, that also will cost you more than you would have to pay if you did it at a more amicable time of year. Right. One last thing uh, about the roof. Uh, before the break, you were talking about soft spots. Uh, and what you mean by that is when you're walking around up there and it just feels under the sheathing mushy. Uh, maybe between uh, Joists. The, the roof rafters or, yep, or, or trusses. trusses. A lot of houses now that are built are trussed, which means it's a pre-manufactured uh, A-frame style webbed a truss that goes in and they set them. Uh, those things are typically made out of two by four all the way around two by four, top, bottom cord, everything. Um, they can break. So what can happen if you're walking up there and you feel a really bad uh, soft spot, it could be a broken truss. It's not the end of the world, uh, but you definitely want to get inside the attic and locate that place that is super soft and inspect it. If it's the sheathing and it's rotted, uh, you know that you've had a leak. And if it's a broken truss, uh, a lot of times you can just sister up wood next to it and screw it in and fix it that way. So it's not the end of the world. I'm glad you've asked people to find their way into the attic. The attic is not a place um, where you want to spend a lot of time. It's hard to move around up there. And a lot of times, uh, you know, if you've got a four twelve pitch, you maybe have, don't have a lot of room to move around up there. Maybe you have to just go to the attic access, stand on a ladder and look around with a flashlight, but you do want to inspect the attic. You want to look for a few things while you're up there. Uh, one of them, of course, would be evidence of a leak. Uh, if you go up into the attic and you're looking around in there and you can see, uh, wetness, on your insulation or dripping from something in the ceiling up there. Uh, that's something that you need to take a really close look at. Um, but you don't spend time in the attic. And so what goes on up there um, will, you know, you have, it's been a long time since you've been up there or maybe you've never looked up there. So you might not know what's going on up right. there. You also might not know how much insulation you have up there. You might not know whether or not your attic is insulated efficiently or, uh, properly. And that's something else that you need to inspect. What do you think someone is going to see in the attic uh, that would lead them to believe that it is not insulated efficiently or properly or, or substantially? Well, I mean, if you go by modern standards, R20, what is it? R38, 
in a roof? Well, R38 is like seven and a half inches. No, it's like 16 inches of insulation. So there's quite a bit of insulation in your ceiling between the ceiling and the height of it. It's supposed to be, I think, 16 inches of blown in or bat insulation. And the difference of those is one is like loose uh, fill. And then the other one is like what you would normally see on a wall or it's bats of fiberglass kind of meshed together. But you definitely want R38 in there. In the case of, say, my house, we had insulation put in my attic uh, because when I climbed up there, I had two by six um, ceiling joists. And I could see the top of all of my ceiling joists and even a couple inches down. So that means that I only had about two and a half, three, three and a half inches of insulation, which is like an R12, <laughs> or R11, R15, yeah, R15 yeah. at the most. And that is not nearly enough. R38 uh, is 12 inches thick. Oh, it's 12 inches. And R49 is 14 inches thick. Okay, okay. But either way, if you if you have two by four or two by six ceiling joists or two by eight, and you can see the top of the joist, then you don't have enough. You don't have enough insulation up there. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, like we've said so many times on this show before, um, you can't really put too much insulation up in the attic, except that this, uh, if you spend a lot of money putting insulation up in the attic, there is a point where the money that you're spending on the insulation will no longer serve you. Right. You won't get that money back. I mean, you could pack the entire thing full of insulation. It wouldn't be terrible. You wouldn't be able to move around up there. But at some point, you've added enough, and adding more is not going to save you more money, or it's not going to save you as much money as you've spent putting it up there. Right. So 16 inches, 14, 16, somewhere in there, 12, 14, 16, those are good Those are good. Uh, Examples of what uh, enough insulation is in your attic, but if you have less than that, there's a problem. Yeah. Adding insulation to your attic can definitely save you a ton of money. But I'll tell you what, that's not the best thing you can do in your attic. Tell me what the next thing is that somebody should do while they're in their attic. Air sealing your attic is the single biggest thing that you can do to save the most money in the wintertime. It, if you think about where uh, your heat loss is, it's from air leaks, not necessarily not having enough insulation. You can insulate, you could put 40 inches of insulation up there, but if you have holes that aren't, that air is just going in and out of, then you've mitigated all of that because insulation is good at, at one thing, insulating. It's terrible at air sealing. So for that, you would want to use a spray foam uh, or, you know, caulking. If you have any time you have a light fixture in your ceiling lid, that is a potential spot where air leaks will come down in and your hot air will go out. And what you're also creating there is a dew point. If you have cold air coming in, getting drawn in, you could potentially have a dew point where water will condensate, causing problems there as well. So you want to make sure that your attic is two things, three things. You want it insulated well, you want it ventilated right, and air sealed from 
your living space down below, what we would call conditioned space. You know, that is a lot of information. You said it kind of quickly, and you used a lot of words that I understand, but it does seem like there can be um, a, a bit of uh, something lost there when we're listening to that. You know, you, we use words like ceiling, and then we're talking about ceiling, like sealing the ceiling. <laughs> it can get a little bit confusing. So I'm going to actually break that down and, and make it a little bit easier to understand, but uh, I'm going to do that right after this break. So don't go away. You're listening to Tony Corey, your Weekend Warriors. Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today, Tony and I are talking about winterizing your home. It's uh, it's important to do right now because it's uh, it's that time of year. It's getting cold. So, you know, get out there, clean off your roof, clean out your gutters. Uh, make, make sure that you're insulating and air sealing your attic right now. It's a good time to do it. Yeah, we were talking about air sealing before we went to the break, actually. And uh, I feel like that there's an opportunity to just break that down just a little bit. When you say air sealing, you're sealing the air from a conditioned space to keep it from traveling from a conditioned space into an unconditioned space. Your attic is not heated, so it's cold up there. And your living space, kitchen, living room, is heated. The way you keep from spending too much money heating the home, the living space, for example, um, is by not losing that heat out into the attic. So if you have holes in the ceiling that allow the air to travel through the ceiling into the attic space, into the unconditioned space, then you have to heat more to keep that space warm. So the tighter the envelope is in the living space, then the more money you save on heating the home because it keeps the heat in the room. Right. So holes consist of uh, lamps, like you, not lamps, um, lights. Light in the, fixtures. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the ceiling, light fixtures in the ceiling, uh, vents, obviously, which, you know, you can't really solve that problem. Um, but any hole that's in the ceiling where something is there, that's an opportunity for warm air to leave the living space and go into an unconditioned space, which causes you to have to continue to heat to keep that space warm. You use uh, expanding foam, uh, for example, up in the attic, on the attic side, mm -hmm. on the insulated side, to seal around all of those holes or fenestrations. You seal around all of those holes to keep the air, the warm air, from leaving the living space and going into the attic. And because heat rises, the attic is, is the place where it will go. In the, in the same respect, of course, the, the crawl space has the same situation. You have holes in the floor, like the attic or the crawl access. That should also be um, insulated. You should have insulation on the bottom side of your crawl space access. If you pull that access door up and there's no insulation on the bottom of it, which 
happens because they put it there and then you move it a few times and then it falls off and then you throw it away. And then, you know, there's a spot that's uh, that's uninsulated and an opportunity for um, air to come through in that right. space as well. So these are some of the things. Uh, the other places that you um, have cold air coming in or warm air going out around windows and doors, uh, that's that's really the next area for us to go to is windows and doors. You have weather stripping. Weather stripping around your exterior doors, the doors that go into the the door that goes into the garage, the door goes out the back, the door that goes out the front. And uh, there's replaceable weather stripping on both sides and the top of the door and also a replaceable sweep that goes on the bottom of the door. The sweep on the bottom of the door of course makes contact with the sill. And uh, that blocks air. It doesn't keep all of the air out, but it blocks air from moving freely underneath the door. And uh, and the weather stripping on the sides and the top. Also, if your weather stripping on your exterior door is looking tattered or is squashed down flat or it, it just doesn't look like it's uh, making good contact or if you can see light coming in around the door when it's closed and it's light outside, uh, that's a problem. If you can see light, then you have... Constant airflow. I'll give you a tip, actually. Um, An easy way to test that is to stand on the inside of your house at nighttime. Uh, If you have an in-swinging door, there's an out-swing and then in-swing. Most entry doors are going to be in-swing. That's where you open it to the inside of the building. Uh, Have someone go outside with a flashlight and then shine that flashlight around the entire perimeter of the door at nighttime while you're inside with the lights out. And then if you see light shining in around the door, boom, right there, you know that air is coming in. If light comes in, air is coming in. So there's some, like you said, there's some pretty easy uh, things you can do to remedy that. Find out what kind of weather stripping you have. Uh, That's a whole discussion in and of itself. Uh, But you can replace it. You can always buy new foam or you know the strips or whatever you have and replace it if you have an adjustable sill let's talk a little bit about uh, a door sweep and how that works with an adjustable sill there's tons of different types of sills Uh, that's the piece that goes on the floor also called a threshold threshold Uh, there's different types they can have um uh, an ADA sill, which is more flat to allow for uh, someone in a wheelchair to be able to roll over it. Uh, but most, I would say most of the time, they're going to have a sill that has raised up and it's adjustable. Any, probably most new door, newer doors that you see would have an adjustable sill. Um, and if that's the case, they can be adjusted up and down because that door sweep that's on the bottom of the door. It's usually made out of rubber. And as it opens and closes and opens and closes and opens and closes, it wears down. It gets shorter and shorter and shorter. So if you can take a dollar bill and slide it under the door and then close the door and just, and it pulls out super easy, then you can, it's, it's not tight enough. And you can raise that little portion that's directly under the sweep up, it's, it's adjustable. So there's like usually three or four screws. Uh, when you thread it down, it raises it. You thread it up, it, clo- it 
lowers it. And it's not a big amount. I mean, we're talking no. about maybe a quarter of an inch or something like that. Oh, not like even that. that. Maybe Probably, less. Yeah, maybe a sixteenth of an inch sometimes is all you would need. If you have a large gap, a noticeable large gap, you need to replace the sweep right. that's on the bottom of the door. It's usually like three or four or five fins. It nails or screws to the bottom of the door. And then those uh, soft rubber fins need to be making contact with the sill. And if after you've installed the sweep, it's still not making contact, then you can raise the sill up to try to make that a little bit tighter. Right. And if you still can't get it, then you might be looking at an, the need to maybe shim behind that sweep in order to hold it down a little bit. Maybe affix something to the bottom of the door or look for a larger sweep. They do make some pretty good size yeah. uh, bottom sweeps in order to fill big gaps. Yeah, and that's not just for air. You know, think about it like this. That if if you can see daylight and air's coming through there just willy-nilly, uh, think about the spiders. Yeah, bugs. <laughs> spiders bugs. and bugs and ants. Oh, my. They can just climb right through that. So yeah. if that's not reason enough to go check your door sweep, I don't know what is. Yep. I absolutely agree with that wholeheartedly. But the best thing to do is to take the old one off. Sometimes you have to take the door off the hinges. Actually, every time. You would have to take the door off the hinges, lay it flat. You probably have to get some help, but lay it flat. Take the old one off. Take that into a store, and all door sweeps are somewhat different. So you want to find the one that fits and matches your door. Right. So that's the easiest way to do it. Installing it once you get it home is the easy part. Right. So, uh, but, but it will pay you to get that done. Hey, you know, Tony, we were talking about attic insulation before, and I did want to make one quick thing that I've had to deal with. And when you're replacing your light fixtures inside of your home, and it's a single-story home, or you're replacing them in the second story, and there's insulation directly above them, you want to make sure that the light fixtures that, say, you're putting in a can light, you want to make sure that it's IC compatible insulation compatible and that means that insulation can touch it directly in that it's okay to touch it sometimes they're not they do make uh can lights that are not ic compatible so you want to make sure when you're going out to buy them or you're insulating that you have the correct ones because you don't want to just dump a pile of insulation on top of a fixture if it's not IC compatible because you could cause a fire. Oh, yeah, you definitely don't want that for sure. All right, more winterization when we come back. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. Hang in there. Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Hey, if you haven't already, go check out our Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Uh, we are at WW Home Show. Uh, go to YouTube. You can just search the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show on there. Uh, we put videos up all the time, tool reviews and just fun videos of uh, Tony and I being weekend warriors. Yeah. Uh, if you want to go to our webpage, it's, you can go to par.com. That's P-A-R-R.com. 
click on the Weekend Warriors link. That'll take you over our website. And then all of our links are on there. So uh, also, if you uh, miss any portion of this show or any portion of any old show, you can go find them uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, uh, or you can find it on our website. Uh, I do want to say, too, if you want to email us, it's uh, weekendwarriors at par.com. We love getting emails from you, our listeners, uh, ask questions. We typically reply pretty pretty fast. I'd say we try and reply the same day or the next day, just depending on how busy we are. But uh, we love getting your questions and comments. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Even if you think we're buffoons, (laughs) which we are. We get a lot of... We do get a lot of emails that says, hey, you're wrong, and here's why. Yeah, the big guy looks funny. Yeah. <laughs> the big guy looks funny. Uh, uh, so you were, we were kind of wrapping up insulation. We were talking about it in the attic. There's some other opportunities. Obviously, unless you're planning a, a huge remodel, right, uh, you're not pulling the sheetrock off of your walls or the siding off of the exterior home and upgrading, updating, or adding insulation to your walls. Proper wall insulation is... And is definitely uh, important. And if your walls are not insulated efficiently or properly, then that can be costing you a lot of money. But that's not a quick fix. It is not. There are companies that can come out and they drill holes and then they put somehow put tubing in there and they blow insulation in. I mean, that, that can be done. It, it is a thing, right? If you don't have any insulation in your wall cavities, it's hard to figure that out, but... Uh, thermal imaging. Sometimes they can take a can- thermal imaging camera, look at your wall, and identify those areas. Uh, older homes, especially, sometimes they used blow-in insulation or cellulose, and that stuff has settled over the years. And then now you're only say the bottom half of all your walls have insulation. Well, they can come in and and drill those holes and and blow it in there. Uh, that is a thing you have to keep in mind that. You're not getting much more than the wall thickness than you can, right? So if it's a two by four exterior wall, which any house built pre-1980, maybe even 1985, I don't know when exactly they switched to two by six exterior walls, uh, but anything two by four is going to be, you're capped out. There, there is some, there are some caveats to that rule. There are some um, home builders that build streamlined homes that build two by four exterior walls and add on rigid insulation on the outside underneath yes. the siding to to accompany the the bad insulation that's in the wall. I mean, there are other ways to achieve. You're right. You're right. Good sense, and homes. that actually is a very good way to build, in my opinion. I I like the two by four exterior wall uh, with rigid foam insulation because you have a thermal break, right? Uh, that's way too scientific for, for this conversation, but it's available. And like you said, it, at least be aware. Yeah. Um, I did want to say though, um, in that exterior wall insulation and how important it is, I'm going to tell you a quick story about when I remodeled my bathroom, I remodeled the master bathroom in my house and there was a shower that was butted up to the exterior wall. Well, that bathroom was always just ice cold, just ice, ice cold. One of the things we found out that the insulation in the attic was uh, severely inefficient. Inadequate. Inadequate. It was, you know, three inches of insulation just wasn't enough. So we had that fixed. Uh, But one of the things that we found out when we demolished the old shower out, it was one of those fiberglass shower inserts. 
They had no insulation behind the shower. None whatsoever. They, they like they installed the shower fiberglass insert and then insulated around it. And that was it. And here's the biggest problem that, that happened. Because we talked about this earlier, how you have a dew point, moisture always travels from warm to cold. It will condensate on the cold side, on the coldest surface that it hits where it reaches that what's called dew point. And that's where water vapor will turn to liquid water. That's called the dew point. And when it, what happens is in that shower that in my bathroom, there was no insulation. So that dew point was on the inside of the wall. So all that moisture was going through, just right through, condensating on the inside of my wall sheathing, and it rotted all of that out. Yikes. Behind my shower was just one gigantic, moldy, rotted mess. Hmm. And that cost me way too much money. So it wouldn't be a bad idea to call up an energy audit company. They bring out thermal cameras. They do duct blasting and air blasting and pressurized tests of your home. Uh, they, they, what they do is they set it up and they use fans and pressurize your home to find out where air is leaking from and to. Right. So, and that's a pretty good investment. Just like the holes that are in the ceiling that are around your um, light fixtures and those types of things, you have those same holes in the walls, outlets, switches, Thermostats, those types, not thermostats, probably those are... Well, anywhere where there's a hole drilled... In an exterior wall. Right. In an exterior wall. Even interior wall. I mean, if you think about how electricity is ran into a house or any sort of pipe work, right? Um, sometimes you have a really good plumber that might drill uh, a half-inch hole for a half-inch pipe. <laughs> uh, but more often than not, they have one drill bit and they just go to town. And you'll have a gigantic one-inch diameter hole for one electrical wire. Well, now all of a sudden you've created a air, air, uh, an area for air to get sucked through that. And if you, you know this, because if your furnace is on and you walk by one of your receptacles on an interior wall and you feel cold air coming out of that, that is coming from... Your crawl space. In, yeah, inside... Your wall cavity. Wall cavity interior. So it could be getting sucked in from your crawl space or your attic. So the opportunity that you have without without having to spend a lot of money, they make they make gaskets that uh, will go on those yeah, little foam ones. Yep, go on the back side of your plate that covers your switch or your outlet or whatever, and uh, you can use those to seal around that plate to keep air from coming through that space. If the air is coming in, that's cold air coming into your condition space that's causing you to have to heat more. So uh, the other way to combat that, of course, is in the crawl space, and you can foam seal around those um, those pipes and and wires and things that are going up into those through the floor and into the interior and exterior walls to keep the cold space in your crawl space in your crawl space. And while you're in the crawl space, uh, you'll be checking the floor to make sure that your insulation underneath the floor is also adequate. And make sure that you don't have holes in the screens of your foundation vents. You have foundation vents all the way around your foundation, and they have screens to keep rodents out. And uh, you want to make sure that there's not holes. You will maybe, if you have an air conditioning unit, find that there's uh, sometimes there's a hole through the screen where that um, 
where that copper tubing is coming through there, traveling from underneath the house to your condenser. Uh, seal around that as good as you can um, to keep the rodents out from underneath the house. There's yeah. another tip for you when you're in the crawl space. Also, while you're in the crawl space, you'd be looking for moisture, wetness, water, puddles, anything that might be underneath the house that looks like it might also need to be mitigated. Uh, you don't want to have moisture underneath the house. That causes mold and mildew, of course. And if it's there, there's a reason why it's there, and you don't want it to be there. So that's another thing to address while you're crawling around under the house. Yeah. Not, yeah. That, not that you want to do all those things, but these are things that you should be taking seriously. If you're underneath the house and you have galvanized pipe, water pipe, that is exposed, you can see it with your eyes. It's not up in the floor in the insulation. It's a good idea. If that pipe is warm, then it's uh, an opportunity to insulate. Insulating pipes underneath the house can keep them from freezing and also lower your energy bill. That's true. All right, we got another quick break, and then we'll be back to wrap it up and put a cute little bow on it. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your Weekend Warriors. We'll be right back. Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today we're talking about winterizing your home. And we've kind of been talking about the importance of insulation and air sealing. And it's a lot. I mean, that's a lot to cover. Uh, in one segment. And it's a lot of work to do. Uh, you can't just, it's not something that you would tackle in a weekend. I think that you should tackle it over a period of time, you know, do a little bit at a time. Because if you look at it like one giant project, you're thinking, man, that's that is a lot of work to do. Well, fortunately, not everybody's going to have all of these issues. You know, we're trying to cover the entire gambit of things that you would be addressing. It's funny Mo because all, all the houses I've owned have. <laughs> Most of these things, you're probably going to look and see that it's not a problem. It hasn't been a problem, and you don't have to do anything about it. But you might find one or two or three of these things that are something that uh, you'll have to do something with. Like, you may not have moss on your roof. Not everybody gets moss on their roof. So you might look at your roof and see that there's no moss, and boom, that's one thing you don't have to do, and that's great for you. Um, but maybe your opportunity is in the attic space, or maybe your opportunity is in the crawl space. Um, but these, this is a really good list of things to check to make sure that your home is prepared to go into the cold months and not cost you more money than you should be spending. Yeah, that's a good point, Tony. Um, one thing, too, we should talk about windows. We talked a little bit about doors, weather stripping. There are a few things that you can do to prep for wintertime with your windows. Uh, if you have the trim around your windows and you get a lot of drafts coming through there, you could pop that trim off and use window and door foam. Minimal expanding yeah, foam. Yeah, minimal expanding window and door foam. You want to make sure that it says window and door specifically. If you get the wrong foam and you squirt it in there, uh, it can overexpand and literally not allow you to open or close your door ever again or even break uh, your vinyl windows if that's what you have. It's a worst case scenario, but it happens. You just need to be sparing and make sure that you're using the right product. Right. Uh, you want to fill the gap. 
but you uh, you don't want to put so much in there that it's uh, that it's pushing out in front and you're having to scrape it all off and you know. Yeah. Like, so be sparing with it. Uh, practice if you've never used expanding foam before. Practice on a board and and just put a little bead out there and get an idea how much it expands um, by the time it's cured. Uh, that's a really good idea. I have used a lot of expanding foam, um, and I'll be honest, I still don't get it right every time because you'll put it in there and then you wait for it to expand a little bit. And then you're like, Oh, I could use a little bit more. And then you squirt a little bit in there. And next thing you know, it's coming out four inches yeah. and you're like, Oh man, gets everywhere. Yeah. We spent a lot of time air sealing the, this recording studio that we're sitting in right now. A little too much. Yeah. Actually. We did a really good job in here. Um, so anyway, there's, that's an opportunity to, um, to air seal around your windows. You have to remove your interior trim and then of course you'll want to put that back up. Uh, so that is a bit of a project. Um, but here's another tip. If you, if you don't have efficient windows, like let's say you have aluminum framed windows that are single pane or the windows are just really old and they're just not performing for you. Um, one thing inexpensive that you can do is you can add plastic to the interior. They actually sell little kits uh, uh, for insulating the interior of your windows and you can, uh, you can stretch plastic over the interior of your windows, which adds one more barrier to keep that cold air that's coming through the window from coming into the living space. Uh, another inexpensive thing that you can do is you can add drapes, uh, heavy drapes, blackout drapes, or cellular shades is another really good thing to use. Uh, instead of blinds, blinds don't want to stop uh, air from traveling, but those cellular shades are insulated and uh, they do a really good job of keeping that cold air that comes through your windows at bay. That is one of those silly ones that people don't think about. In the winter time, uh, what you want to do is open your blinds to let that sun in on a sunny day, I guess I should say, to let that sun in because you'll allow uh, the thermal heat, well, it will, the sun will warm up the things around that it's hitting, the sunlight. And then you close those blinds at night, and that way it traps the heat in. So a little bit of, uh, yeah, they call that uh, thermal. Passive house. Yeah, passive house, but there's a name for it. Thermal heat transfer. Thermal mass. Thermal heat gain. Thermal heat gain. There you go. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. Um, so here's another tip. So we got blinds and uh, not blinds, a cellular shade and drapes. Here's another, here's another tip for you. If you want to spend a little bit more money and get it done uh, without having to replace all your windows, of course, you can add storm windows to the outside. And those oftentimes can just be screwed right onto the exterior trim that's around your windows. And that can also be sealed up around the outside. So that adds another a more permanent layer on the outside, which give you a little bit more efficiency. Um, but ultimately, in the end, if your windows are old and there's an opportunity to replace them, then replacing your windows can save you a lot of money. In addition to that, a lot of times there is a tax break that you can get if you buy a, a window that is that reaches a certain efficiency level, and uh, and that can help you pay for that project as well. Yeah, they always look for tax credits, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. There seems to be a lot of those. So, uh, but yeah, let's let's move on to a little bit. There's uh, what about the the furnace, your furnace and your water heater? Those are things that are very important to uh, making it through the wintertime. You know, if your furnace is broken, then you're in big trouble. Did you know that your furnace is supposed to be replaced every 10 years? 10 years? Yeah, that's... That seemed to me it, that seems very short. Let me let me let me rephrase that because that sounded like 
after 10 years, your furnace doesn't work anymore. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is by the time your furnace is 10 years old, there's something more efficient out there that could be saving you money. Um, money to the tune of uh, spending the money to replace your furnace will pay itself back in efficiency uh, because you're spending less money on your energy bill. 10 years uh, is the amount of time. If your furnace is 10 years old or older, it's time to take a really hard look at what is out there and how much more efficient it is and what it costs to replace your furnace. Um, I don't own a furnace, but, um, but it does seem like uh, it doesn't take long for a furnace to be 10 years old. Yours isn't, is it? My furnace is brand spanking new. Yeah. <laughs> and it works great. Yeah. It works so much better than the one that you replaced. Yeah. You know, and the part of it, too, was my ductwork. The ductwork that I had down into my crawl space, which is pretty common here in the Pacific Northwest, with post and beam construction. They put the furnace out in the, the garage, and they run all of that ductwork down in the crawl space or the attic, which is really not great. It's not ideal. If you think about air ducts leaking, if they leak at all, then it's going to be down into your crawl space, which who wants to waste that? Ideally, if I were to build a house, I would put my furnace inside of the conditioned space or in a, in its own little mechanical room in the garage. Right next to your water heater? Yeah. And then run all of the duct work inside of the house, either in soffits or something of that sort that's a conditioned space. Yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense. Uh, definitely running it in the uh, in the crawl space is uh, or in the attic uh, is inefficient. And even more so, if you are not using insulated duct, you, of course, got all new insulated duct, but we were replacing your galvanized duct that was... Uh, for sure, uninsulated, inefficient, not to mention the fact that it wasn't even all connected. And uh, wow, what a disaster. If you have galvanized heat duct in your crawl space or in your attic and it's not insulated, that is an opportunity to save money heating your home because you're running warm air through that duct in a cold, unconditioned space and it's going to cost you more money to keep it warm. So, that is uh, another opportunity to save a little bit of money. Yeah, another easy one is to make sure that your programmable thermostat is set to the right schedule. You know, uh, this last year, a lot of things changed, right? People are working from home more, so they probably got used to certain things. So take a look at that program. Make sure that it's running the schedule that you want it to run. It'll save you money and make you a lot more comfortable. How often do you replace the filter in your furnace, the air filter? Well, it depends on the type of furnace filter that you have. That's a pretty broad statement, but um, if your furnace takes those really thin ones... Like a coffee filter? Yeah, like those, real, well, like those really thin <laughs> three-quarter inch or one-inch thick filters, mm -hmm. um, depending on the MERV rating, uh, you'll probably want to replace that thing every month. Um, I have a furnace filter that is four. Like four, it's five inches, it's five inches thick. And they actually say that I can get about six months on it. Wow. So yeah, well, they're what, 60 bucks. Whatever you do, 
Make sure you check your furnace filter. Make sure it's clean and replaced often. Totally. That's all the time we got. Thank you so much for tuning in. And this has been another episode of Your Weekend Warriors right here on the Weekend Warriors Radio Network. Have a great week.